Hello and welcome to 30 for 30 Plus. My name is Jody Avergan. We are getting towards the end of the year, so we thought we'd drop in the feed one more time with a special update on one of the biggest projects of our 2018, our five-part series on Bikram Chowdhury and Bikram Yoga. A lot of you did listen to this and responded really strongly to it. If you haven't listened, go back and check it out. It is a five-part investigation into the rise of this guru and his abuse of his wealth and his power over the years. There have been a few updates since we released this series over the summer, so here to discuss it all, answer a few of your questions, is producer and reporter Julia Lowry-Henderson. Hello, Jules. Happy holiday and happy new year. Hi. Happy holidays. People often save the part where they pat their own back for the end of the show, but I'll just say that we are seeing your series and our series in general coming out on a lot of these year-end best-of lists, so I just wanted to say congratulations. It's well-deserved, and I will say it was a personal highlight of mine in 2018 to watch you work on this series. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's surprising and flattering and just really exciting that people are listening to this thing that we spent so much time on. Yeah, yeah I, I said 2018. It's actually back, way back into 2017 it, um, is really when you started on this. So this series was new for us in a number of ways, one of which was that we were taking a story that's from the past but from the fairly recent past and is a bit ongoing. And so that's really what we want to do here is kind of look at it as an ongoing story. So the big question I have, the one we've been getting from our listeners, is has anything changed since this has come out? And we can start with Bikram Chowdhury himself. So where is he? Is he still practicing his yoga? So, yes, Bikram is still out there doing his thing. Uh, he just wrapped up a teacher training in Acapulco, Mexico, uh, and he just announced that he is going to lead a spring training, although this time in Spain. He is leaving Mexico, uh, which I don't know entirely what precipitated that. I think part of it is that he was at the hotel in Acapulco long enough that now they've been pulled into the inquiry period in his bankruptcy filing. Interesting. So, And so on a legal front, I mean, I know it gets very complex. You got into a little bit on the series and in some of the other bonus episodes. But the gist of it is he still cannot come back to the United States. He still has to be in places like Mexico or in, in Spain, apparently, and, these, and other countries where he is, quote unquote, safe. Yes, there is no movement on the bench warrant that is out for him in the state of California. The bankruptcy is ongoing, so it hasn't been resolved yet. So all of the things that put him in contempt of court and violation of any process, those haven't gone away yet. So as of right now, he still cannot come back to the United States without risk of arrest. Do you have any sign or indication or hunch that he or his camp have listened to your series? I don't know. It sounds so arrogant to be like, I can't imagine they didn't. Uh, but I think if they do ingest podcasts in any way, shape or form, they must have because they were so aware that it was happening and there's so much chatter inside the community about it. Although I will say that the people that cling to him and the people that are loyalists really do a good job of burying their heads in sand. And so... There's also a chance that they have avoided it, understanding mm -hmm. that it's not going to be the most flattering portrayal. Yeah. So let's talk about that community you mentioned, because obviously your series is you know, in large part, if not mostly, about the community around this man. So how has the community reacted to your piece coming out? Uh, I've been sort of overwhelmed by the people that have taken it upon themselves to reach out and say that they listened. I mean, even inside the context of the story we told, you know, we interviewed people who 
were very loyal to him and really yeah. had had a hard time up until even and through our interview accepting that he had perhaps done these things that were, you know, on the table. Uh, and a lot of people in that camp listened and reached out with some sort of note of how important it was for them to actually listen to Jill Lawler and to hear a victim story. I think it's really easy when it's just headlines uh, or it just exists in a PDF court document that you have to seek out, you know, to just pretend that it's not real. And so, yeah, as a as a storyteller and documentary maker, that's kind of like the coolest thing that you can yeah. tell people stories and people will hear them. You know, we were talked about a lot while it was being made inside the Bikram community. I think that chatter continued to exist after and it's not unanimous. I mean, there are a lot of people who don't listen or are angry that I did this, but there are a lot of people that listened and, you know, there's there was a lot of there were a lot of people that seemed grateful that we had taken the time to yeah. actually tell the story. Uh, you know, I've heard from people that I never met before or that I hadn't talked to before, you know, that this was kind of like a game changer for them. And now they're in a place where they want to talk about their experience and are involved in other media and projects surrounding mm. this. But, you know, it was by and large, this was a really we started, I think, a new chapter in a conversation that's been going on for a long time now. You know, I'll say that you, you hinted at it, that a lot of people, when they got wind that you were reporting this, were nervous um, and angry. And I think, you know, you we, we had moments throughout the reporting of this where we said, you know, so-and-so people are going to be upset. Um, and we just kept telling ourselves, we're going to put this out and we stand by this reporting. And I think in general, people who were nervous and upset beforehand when they hadn't heard the thing have heard the thing as you said and recognize that we tried to do right by them which is not to say that your job as a journalist is to appease people or make people happy sometimes the sign that you've done good journalism is that people are upset even if they were upset beforehand they hear it and they're still upset but it is i think a testament to you that generally people are hearing it and understanding the the, the spirit behind it i want to get back to some of the the women that you spoke to and, and update a little bit on on their lives and some of the conversation you sparked but just in terms of Developments within the Bikram community, the piece ends, your series ends with people grappling with whether to take their name off the studios, um, the Facebook page, kind of having this big conversation on, in these online communities around the yoga community. Any updates on that front? What direction is that moving in over the last six months or so? In some ways, it feels very much the same. Uh, you know, there is still this ongoing struggle of can you have Bikram yoga without Bikram chowdhury? Um, and that is that will continue to be, I think, a really thorny issue for them to attempt to navigate because there are a lot of people that are still very loyal to him. And so the existence of loyalists and the existence of Bikram continuing to lead teacher trainings just creates it makes it almost impossible to just completely rebrand and move on. I mean, mm -hmm. I think if Bikram had had the humility to step aside and say, you know, I've been accused of things or I'm in financial trouble or I have to leave the country, you know, for whatever reason, I'm handing this over to someone else. They would be in a completely different place in terms of what a rebranding process looks like. And instead, he's still there and a lot of people still equate him with the practice and, you know, as their guru. And so it has really complicated 
this idea of trying to save Bikram Yoga but not continue a relationship with him. And so I think that there's, you know, I'm being told of conversations happening on a more earnest level. Studio owners and teachers are really having to assess what happens in terms of training new teachers. And that really feels yeah. like it's now the the line in the sand has kind of clearly emerged as you know, if you send people to his teacher trainings or you say it's okay or you don't tell them not to go, you are financially supporting Bikram. And that's becoming like a tangible, identifiable line for studio owners and teachers in terms of who's still with Bikram and who's moved on or is against Bikram. But isn't there a line even before that? I mean, are people, are, are studio owners grappling with whether Someone comes in for a class or two. They start to fall in love in the way that we describe people fall in love with this practice. You pull them aside and say, hey, there's this this dark side to this world that you're dipping your toe into. Are, are those conversations happening? It doesn't have to happen right when someone's deciding whether to go to teacher training or not. That's pretty far down the line. I, I don't get the impression huh. that they are. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people, you could walk into a studio and never – hear his name uttered or hear right. his name ascribed to the postures that are being done. Uh, but, you know, I think there's still a very high percentage of studio owners who would much rather prefer that their students didn't know that these things existed because it's bad for their business, even if they're not on his side. Yeah. Um, but it is this question of, I certainly interview people who have students who still go to his training or who wouldn't tell a student not to go. And that is not only just so, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but to me it feels morally like troublesome because this person, this is where he acts out those behaviors. And now you're doing it and really actually sending someone to a foreign country with even less oversight. Uh, But on a, in terms of like a brass tax, like do you support Bikram? If you're encouraging someone to spend ten to fifteen thousand dollars on his training that goes into his pockets, I mean that's financially supporting Bikram, right? Um, and what about the online communities around him? I mean, so much of your piece was about how Facebook served as a way both to bond people together when they were falling in love with Bikram and building this community, and then also to share stories. Um, and feelings as the community was fraying. What's been the role there? It continues to exist as a forum for teachers, past and present, to connect and communicate with one another. And I think that there's a hope or an intention that that could be its predominant focus, right? That it it could be that resource where anyone who's been to, been trained in the 26 postures and two breathing exercises can you know, rely on other people who've been in the same trainings or or teaching the same thing to deal with all those questions that you have that only other people that know what you know can help you sort through. Uh, But it continues to actually really be like a divisive and kind of hostile environment because people are in two camps, more than two camps. There seem to be a ton of camps, but, you know, there are some real deep Bikram loyalists who – still exist in this teacher's page, who still don't want to admit that Bikram's done anything wrong, who still want to, you know, revere and lionize him and who get into some really messy and intense, crazy fights with people in the group who feel the complete opposite and and don't have a space for him. I mean, 
what I hear about the things that happened in that group, I mean, it's like the worst. It's what a lot of us see on Facebook, you know, through yeah. our timeline anyway. No, but no, about, I feel like you're describing Facebook, right? Exactly. Oh, it should be this place for community and healing and real conversation, but it's turned toxic and divisive. Exactly. It sounds familiar. Um, they don't know what to do with the page. I mean, so uh, on the most brass tacks level, like the page is obviously managed by people. There are two people who manage the page. They haven't always managed the page. There's been a line of succession as people have grown tired of being part of that and relieve themselves of their duty. Uh, and the people who are in charge of the page, I think, are trying to navigate what to do with the toxicity. It's a, I don't know. I mean, it feels to me like that's a thing as long as it exists the way it exists. It becomes harder to imagine really a community completely moving on from Bikram. I mean, Interesting. it's a, yeah. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the women that you spoke with and then some of the larger developments we've seen since your piece came out. But we do have to take a quick break. So we'll do that. And then we'll be back in a minute. All right, we're back, and you spoke to a number of women for this piece who had different range of experiences with both the yoga and Bikram Chowdhury himself. The last time we spoke for our bonus episodes and in the piece itself, it took a lot for you to get some people to open up. What's been the reaction since the piece came out? Uh, the reaction since, you know, I gave everyone sort of their time and their space to listen and process on their own. It's a lot. Um and I was really nervous to reach out to them and hear how they took it. Uh, you know, I will say that luckily they're all really glad that they talked to us. Um, yeah. You know, for Jill Lawler, she had done a little bit of media before she did ours. And it was really kind of traumatic is the way she had described it to me. And she really listened to our whole series and felt like incredibly grateful that we had given her space to tell her story and that we had let her love the yoga uh, and love what she had signed up for and not just focused on what ultimately happened to her. Um, and I think that, you know, we also episode three ends with Janelle Leet, who also ended up in a hotel room with Bikram. Uh, it ended slightly, you know, it ended differently for her, but she, you know, she likewise is in Australia and just opened her own yoga studio that has nothing to do with Bikram and is really proud that she was a part of this. Have other women reached out to you or do you feel like this is going to empower other women to, to speak out or speak differently? I haven't heard from, I mean, what I did hear is, especially at our live events, you know, we did a live event in New York and then we did one in LA and it felt like at each of those, there were, you know, a handful of people who had been to a teacher training who had seen things and it's like they had been waiting for so long to have someone to say, like, I saw this thing, you know, that knew what the thing was they were talking about. And there was this kind of relief and release of being able to just acknowledge it and not have someone think they were crazy, but to know what they were talking about. It's it's letting people talk about it in a way that they haven't before. I mean, we talked about this a lot when we were working on it. And then I think we talked about it. After it came out, you know, we had both thought when Me Too happened that it would change my reporting, that it would change the people who were willing to talk to me. And, the, you know, we wondered if there would be this moment where, like, a bunch of people crawled out of the woodwork. And, you know, we did not find that happening because the community was still so guarded and ashamed. And I feel like we – this thing existing was – 
like the thing that let that community sort of relax into the fact that Me Too applied to them too and that they mm. could, you know, open up and they can talk about this. And there's a lot to be sad about and angry about and ashamed about, but at the same time, they can let go of that shame. I mean, too many other people go through things like this. Yeah. Tell me if you want to answer this question or not, because mm-hmm. we never really talked about it while, you, while we were reporting. But did you want your piece to affect change? Was that on your mind as you were going through the process? Yes. I mean, I think it was really, you know, I I believe that, you know, storytelling really matters in terms of us you know, hearing who we are and dealing with it and trying to be better across the board. This certainly was a story where a lot of people have the room to be better or to do better. Um, I certainly hoped that we would do something that would give victims voices in a way that we hadn't really heard yet and that would affect some sort of change. And And I hoped that presenting an honest conversation and an honest, you know, dig into this community and how it got to this moment would not only do something for the community, but would be a larger lesson for everyone else who listened to it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think you balance those things, right? Because you're not just, you know, this isn't like a piece of activist journalism, Mm -hmm. you know, this is like documentary making, but and maybe it's just like my personality a little bit. But yeah, I think I definitely went into this with like a hope that we would pour all of this time into it. And it would, even if it just changed one person, that it would change something. Yeah. Um, we got a question from a listener. It might be worth discussing. He wrote us and said, does Bikram's legacy tarnish other non-Western exercise practices or practitioners? No. No. I mean, I think that what it does is offer a real cautionary tale. Um, I mean, I think of, you know, Stephanie Simon, who wrote a book about the history of, you know, yoga and culture in America. And her comment to us was, you know, that Bikram's abuse wasn't unique, but the scope of his abuse was unique. And so I don't think Bikram's transgressions can tarnish anybody not involved in them. And I don't think Bikram can tarnish yoga in a larger sense or Eastern practice in a larger sense. But I do think he sits there as a warning, right? Because there is this, you know, this is not simply something that the Bikram community is dealing with. I mean, we found this when this came out, like the yoga community in general reacted very strongly to this piece. I mean, oddly, Bikram's transgressions here are really like the uniting factor that create a bridge between Bikram yoga and the rest of the yoga world. Like before all of this stuff happened and before there was any sort of reckoning in the yoga world, Bikram was, you know, way over here and yoga was way over there and they didn't commingle because Bikram was, you know, my way or the highway. I'm the one true yoga. His teachers couldn't teach another type of yoga. So there was this, there was this break between the disciplines and, you know, what we found when we put this out was that, the yoga community was really grateful because all sorts of traditions are grappling with their own reckonings for these sorts of abuses. And so, you know, all of a sudden it just it brought the worlds closer. I mean, I say no, and I guess I should like put a little asterisk after it because 
there is a way in which part of the toll of Bikram's behavior is that he has introduced or somehow justified for some people or increased a skepticism that exists among Americans to outside practices. And I think that that's, that is real. I mean, that's something he's kind of done from the beginning. As soon as he had this persona of always wearing the Speedo and the Rolex and became greedy and the guy who tried to copyright yoga, all of those things, they benefited him greatly and made him wealthy, but they always at least threatened to come at the expense of cheapening the image of yoga and the idea of the sanctity of the practice to people. And certainly his actions, his inability to be held accountable for his actions, the fact that there really is no justice in the story, all of those things, you know, they're not good for yoga's image. They're not good for a lot of things. But I, I but I say that and I do firmly believe, though, that Bikram's faults, you know, are Bikram's faults. And I, I think that there doesn't have to be any sort of lasting tarnishing that happens because of what he did. And also, I mean, a lot of the behavior that you described just now and in the piece is not about non-Western tropes. It's actually the sort of mingling and bastardization of Western and American culture that led him down this path or enabled this path. So I don't know if it should, you know, reflect back on non-Western traditions as much as it maybe reflects back on ourselves and some of the things in this country that enable this kind of behavior. Um, I have a very bad uh, analogy to get to my next question, but like, have you, have you ever, if you ever break your wrist or or if you have like a, a cast on your foot or something, and then you walk around, you all of a sudden start noticing Tons of other people who also have like a cast on their foot or a splinter on their on their hand or something. And so I wonder if that started happening with this. It has has happened for me where since we've reported this piece, now I feel like I'm seeing little hints of other people reporting on Bikram Yoga or Bikram Yoga mentions here and there. And so I wonder if and here's my actual question. Are, are more people talking about Bikram Yoga in the last six months or is it just the fact that I'm a little more attuned to it and I'm noticing it more? Has there been any larger conversation that has sprung up, do you feel like, we're a part of? I think so, but I'm also in your same boat. Yeah. You know, like I'm I'm on the lookout for it or maybe I'm more sensitive or attuned to it. But I, I do feel like I get far more hits. You know, I have Google alerts set for... Bikram, Bikram Chowdhury, Bikram Yoga, everything under the sun. And I get, you know, I get daily hits now where in the early phase of my reporting, you know, I would go long stretches of time without getting hits. But I do feel like since this series came out, uh, his name is floating around in a a more noticeable way. Um, and that his story is one that comes up when people are looking at or or reporting on or dissecting the current, you know, Me Too moment and that, you know, he is he does feel there to me in a more pronounced way. One thing we've all noticed, which is worth saying, is that one very prominent podcaster, Joe Rogan, has mentioned Bikram Yoga a couple times on his show. He's uh, been getting into it lately and he has acknowledged the in his own way, the very deep creepiness of the founder. I'll publicly state here that Julia should go on Joe Rogan's podcast and talk about it. But, you know, I, I, I would think that that's maybe something he wouldn't have. I don't know. Maybe there's something in the ether there that landed with him, or at least we've been having listeners of his 
reach out to us and say, wow, there's this conversation happening over here about this. And so, you know, it's out there. Uh, Yeah, he's fascinating because he's, you know, not unlike me, someone that found the practice and really like loved it. You know, it's still he still practices, although I think he's careful not to go to Bikram Studios or use the name Bikram. But, you know, he he sincerely will post on social media about how those 26 postures and, you know, the 90 minute class like does something for him that nothing else physically does. You know, that is the thing about this series. You know, one thing I noticed, you know, it's like I, I feel like I am hearing Bikram's name more, but I also noticed like the absence of Bikram in the same way. So, you know, I was really f- curious to see the new Quincy Jones documentary about his life um, because I find him a fascinating character and his daughter Rashida directed it and I find her fascinating and I really, you know, I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, But obviously, as we know, Quincy Jones was one of Bikram's earliest and most famous students. I mean, Bikram got himself a thank you in the thriller liner notes. And so I was curious to see how they would deal with Bikram or if they would deal with Bikram at all. And Rashida was very careful to not let Bikram be mentioned by name. They do do, and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this documentary for anybody, but they do address the yoga phase of his life because the movie kind of runs two parallel tracks. You're kind of following Quincy through some more recent health scares while that gives pause and reason to like look back at his journey into how he got to this moment. And so obviously with the health stuff that's going on with him, He's going to be advised to get back into some sort of physical routine and yoga is going to be the thing he turns to. So, you know, you start to see this like coming together and you know there's going to be like a yoga scene and they don't use Bikram's name, but they use Bikram's daughter. Bikram's daughter, Laju, gives Quincy a private lesson and they show some archival of Quincy back in his Bikram days, but you never see Bikram in the pictures, which I thought was, you know, it felt very calculated and intentional. But it was also, you know, I watch it maybe like cynically because I just feel like that it's also not acknowledging it in a way that feels mm-hmm. somewhat irresponsible to me because I also, you know, in reporting Bikram, I obviously spent and spend a lot of time following them on social media. That's the easiest way to figure out what Bikram is up to these days because his kids use social media like all the time. And so then, you know, immediately in the wake of the documentary coming out, you know, the Bikram and Laju's Instagram became this, you know, manipulative, we were included, Quincy loves us type of thing. And Laju had these Instagram stories with her and Quincy together, and they were giving Bikram a shout out and saying, we wish you were here. And it was just like so terribly uncomfortable. I sort of do wish that as, you know, such a leader of the Time's Up movement that Rashida had actually just like dealt with her dad because she's in the documentary, just dealt with him head on about like what it was to have this new side of Bikram be a thing. You know, I just wish that they had dealt with it. And it actually could have been a very like profound and teachable moment. But right. And if anything, that's what these conversations sparked by me, too. And these larger just it's just how social progress works is it's gives you an opportunity to take an extra step and have a more thoughtful conversation. You know, I think it's one thing to say everything should be prescriptive and you can't do this or you have to mention this or whatever, but it's more like there's now a window when this person's name and this person's world comes up to have this conversation and we hope that people do. So that's 
you know, I think that's probably where your reaction comes from. I haven't seen the documentary, but I suspect it's a very have. good film. Good. It okay. really is. I'll go check it out. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there and um, obviously say that we felt like it was important to give this year end update to this story, which again is ongoing. So if there is more that breaks over the next little bit, we will certainly continue to have the conversation here and on social media and so forth. Um, but thanks to you, Julia, as always. Thanks, Jody. And we're on to 2019. And listeners, you know, thanks to all of you for responding so strongly um, to this series, but also our entire year of documentaries. Jules had a big hand in a lot of the episodes that came out this past season, which were individual episodes. So still the holidays. If you have time at the end of the year, you want to go back and catch up, you have plenty of time to do that. And if you want to just wait until 2019, we have lots of other big things in store that we are already working on. So thanks again for all your support. Have a happy new year and we'll see you soon.